Welcome to Business with Beers, a podcast for business owners who want to scale their business to massively grow their income and contribution by investing in people, process, and technology. I'm your host, Brian Beers. This week, we've got a great show with Devin Elder. Devin is the founder of DJE Texas Management Group, a vertically integrated multifamily investment firm based in San Antonio, Texas. Since 2012, the firm has completed hundreds of successful projects, including several full-cycle multifamily deals. They currently own over 3,000 doors. Devin shares his journey about starting out in real estate with no money, getting a hard money loan to acquire his first duplex, and then along the way, he learned how to raise money and develop a solid track record. Devin talks about the benefits and risks of being a passive multifamily investor and some warning signs to look out for with operators. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, rate and review with your favorite part. And if you'd like to learn more about the topics covered in this podcast, check out brianbeers.com to sign up for my free weekly newsletter, delivering content directly to your inbox. Hey, well, welcome to the show, Devin. Thanks for having me. How's it going? I'm doing great. Hey, so it wouldn't be business with beers if I didn't ask you. We're sitting at a bar in San Antonio right now. What are we drinking? Okay, so my safe choice is, is Miller Lite, right? Like you can't get in okay. too much trouble. Yep. I think with Miller Lite, but that's not very fun. And it's, it's kind of, uh, it's basically water. So I would go with the IPA. There's this, there's this beer called Axis IPA. It's, it's got a big Axis deer on it. Cool uh, deal. I think they make it in some, you know, small town in Texas. And I, I ran into that at a restaurant and uh, loved it. So that's kind of my current favorite Axis IPA. Good stuff. Awesome. Great. Well, if you could uh, share your story, who you are, what you do, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, awesome. So, so kind of today, just snapshot. Um, I'm the principal of DJE Texas Management Group. We are um, real estate investment company. Basically, you can think of it as a private equity firm. We do mostly multifamily. So, I'm a principal and over three thousand doors of multifamily right now. About half of that we run ourselves. Um, so we're vertically integrated, meaning we own the management company. Mm-hmm. We do the whole thing, right? We buy them, run them, uh, and then we bring on a lot of investors for that. So we've grown that over the over the years. That's kind of the primary focus of the company. We also do some land investing. We do um, some redevelopment, some new construction. All that stuff's kind of peripheral. The the real meat and potatoes for our company is buying big apartments in San Antonio putting our team on them and uh, getting good returns for investors. Pretty simple okay. business model, even though it's a, it's a pretty big company at this point uh, compared okay. to where we were a few years ago. Yeah. So how, how is it, I guess, how's it grown? How'd you get in started into real estate syndication? You know, why that, why multifamily is your core asset? Maybe speak to that first. Sure. Sure. Um, getting started, I bought a little rental house, you know, and I actually, first thing I did was I paid some money, joined a coaching group just to, figure out real estate investing in general. Didn't really have a lot of capital a bunch of years ago when I started. So I bought a rental house, um, hard money loan, three per, three points and 12% interest, 14% interest. I don't know what it was. It was uh, whatever was just a hair below uh, extortion or the legal limit. I don't know what, I don't know what it is, but, but the point is, you know, somebody told me early on, it, it's not the cost of capital. It's access to capital because if you don't have access mm. to capital, you're done. So kind of figured out how to get access to capital, even though it was pretty expensive. But I but I did that house, I, you know, bought this house, renovated, refied out darn near all the money. And that was a pretty cool magic trick. And so I started doing that over and over and over to like and I was working this day job, right? Um, work for a big, you know, billion dollar medical device company and um, was just 
completely had my mindset on getting out of the, the corporate world. Once I started doing real estate deals, I, I said, this is it. This is my ticket. It's going to take me a while to build it, but this is how I'm going to do it. Buy a house, refinance, um, fix it up, refinance out the money, get enough cash flow to cover my bills. That took me about two years to cover all, you know, get cash flow to cover my bills. Then I let myself quit work. Um, and that's when things really took off. And that was 2015. Okay. So, when did you buy that first uh, duplex? 2012. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it took about three years to then have your passive income cover all your living expenses, your personal yep. and expenses. And the first year I did one deal and it was like learning curve. And I, look, I'm still, I'm married. I have three kids. I got a lot of stuff going on yep. and I'm trying to learn this new skill set and, you know, keep up performance at my job. So that first year was like a lot of learning and one deal. Um, but then the next year was 10 deals and the third year was enough deals to quit my job. So it was like really exponential growth there. And then by the time I had, I think I want to quit my job at like 22 doors, something like that. Uh, then you run into the classic scalability issue. Like, oh mm -hmm. man, I, you know, this real estate stuff really works. I want to grow it. And it's like, well, you're going to have a, you want to be one of those guys with 150 houses. I didn't. So then you start buying more doors at one address just makes yep. things simpler. Um, I had raised a bunch of private money from doing houses to where, you know, mentally I could make the leap of, well, I, I've raised millions of dollars. It's just been one house at a time. You know, okay. but if, you, if I looked at it, I've, I've, I've done dozens of deals, eventually hundreds of single family deals. I did that way too long, but, um, you know, I, I was like, okay, I've raised a bunch of capital. Let's try it all in one deal. Let's try, let's try to do $3 million in one deal. And once I kind of got over that confidence hurdle and delivered for investors on that, then, then it was like, all right, this game on, we can buy <clears throat> effectively can buy anything now, right? If you, if you make yep. it attractive enough for investors and you, um, employ the shocking business model of doing what you said you were going to do, um, yep. then there's really an unlimited amount of capital that you can put in your deals. That's an oversimplification, but it, it, and of course there's plenty of work along the way, but that, that is true. And, um, it was really a big aha for me because I started with no capital and I grew up without any, um, I, I grew up without any, any role models that of how to be wealthy, how to mm -hmm. work with money. So my kind of poverty mentality growing up, I couldn't imagine that somebody had the problem of what do I do with all this money? Turns out lots of people have this problem. What do I do with all this money? Right? Like I, I have a high W2 uh, and, and turns out a lot of them don't want to go learn this kind of brutal business of running an apartment complex. It's not very sexy, you know? Yep. Um, and so if they can own 70% of the deal and be totally passive and hands off, there's a lot of people in that boat. Uh, and I'm, I'm becoming one of them. You know, I'm an LP in a bunch of deals myself and uh, I love, I love it. I don't have yep. to really do anything. So that um, once, once I kind of discovered that world and um, had just been kind of maniacal about putting investors first. And when you, when you set up, set up your companies that way um, it effectively leads to unlimited capital. Okay. It just grows and snowballs. A lot of great stuff there. I mean, some things to touch on. First, I think it's it's the the self belief, right? Believing in yourself that yeah, you raised all this money, and, and having that confidence that you know you can continue to to execute. I think that's a lot of a challenge a lot of people have is no you know, they have the raw skills. What holds them back is them, themselves and their own like limiting beliefs. That, 100%. You know, I am capable of doing this, and you know I'm more educated, I'm experienced, and you know just just believing that you can do it is is like eighty percent of that battle. 
So, I mean, you it, it over, really you is. It's, it, you know, it's always man versus self, right? Like if you look at all the challenges an entrepreneur faces, it's 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 man versus self, and and that's you know it's it's you versus the economy and you versus this and th- those things are all true, but a lot of it is. Uh, is, is getting uh, getting out of your own way, getting over your own hurdles. I will say though, like if you're terrified of raising capital, you should be. But that is a huge <laughs> right. responsibility. Yeah. And if you haven't done it, you should be terrified of losing other people's money. And so, um, you know, I had to build that muscle up over a long time. That was just, that was just the, the, the way I did it. You shouldn't take that lightly. If somebody's taking that lightly, I don't want to invest with them, right? Sure. So, hey, let's talk about your team. You know, it's a multifamily, it's a team sport. What is, yes. what is your in-house team look like? And then what is your, uh, obviously you have third parties that, that all work together. Talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. So you could think of our, uh, I've, I've got a bunch of companies, you know, I'm, I've got probably got 30 different companies out there for various things, but the, the core of it is the private equity company of which I'm the, I'm the CEO today. Um, mm-hmm. We've got an investor relations manager and we've got an office manager who's also doing some uh, kind of like junior asset management work, right? That's, so three of us are employed in that entity. Okay. Um, then we've got a property management company, which is a separate entity. I have a president of that property management company, and there's probably 30 employees in that company, but only one reports to me. It's a beautiful thing. He's a total rock star. And instead of uh, third-party property management, which we did for many years, um, we have a lot, lot more control over everything by mm-hmm. having it in-house. You know, as we speak now, we are our only customer. We're, we're looking at taking on one third-party client who's a buddy of mine, but we, you see these guys, you know, try to grow property management companies to 20,000 doors because you get to hire multiple on your, your valuation at that point, right? I just, I have zero desire to do that. Again, this is 100% an investor-first company. Everything else is built around that. I, I built the property management company so that we could better serve investors and that's worked out great. So, um, so it's a property management company, a lot of employees there um, have loved having that. And that's all a function of finding the right who, you know, uh, Dan Sullivan's got a book, who, not how. And that simple statement is so incredibly powerful. I was very fortunate to find the right who uh, and not figure out how to build the property management company, but find the guy that was a superstar for it. That's been amazing. So if you look at, you know, private equity, pretty small overhead in terms of employees and things like that. Uh, property management company, much bigger, but that gives us control. And then you go to kind of the outside tier, right? The people mm-hmm. that aren't on my payroll. And that's, you know, hundreds of investors obviously are a big part of this deal. Um, we've we've talked to, to bigger private equity firms that could come in and and provide most of the equity for deals. I just, I never liked the trade-off, you know, I, I never liked the power they would have over us. Um, I, I set all this up so I would not be an employee, in you know, an employee. Although I I do draw W two off one of our companies, but um, I don't want private equity shop dictating, calling shots, and jamming us up right before closing, changing terms. So we just have a lot of investors, and if somebody one investor for a hundred k says they're out of a deal at the last second, like it's completely inconsequential to us, and and I like it mm-hmm. that way. We can also serve a lot of people. These are just regular folks that have jobs or are retired, and we can you know, we could directly send them money that is um, beneficial for them. I love that part of it. So investors, huge part of it. Then you've got kind of your professional services, right? Your legal, we've got a team of attorneys that we use depending on the the project type. Uh, we've got 
countless brokers that we use depending on project type. Uh, I'm in a CEO advisory group that meets twice a month. Um, and so we've got, we've got a board of directors for the company um, that were, that I'm able to kind of in a confidential environment review stuff um, twice a month. I've got a personal um, uh, executive coach that was a CEO of a big architecture firm here in San Antonio. We, we, we meet once a month. So there's kind of that advisory board that's, that's critical. Uh, and then we've got some, um, all the typical stuff, insurance contractors, sure, yep. anything real estate related there. And then we've got some, some, some ancillary companies. We've got a consulting company, apartmenteducators.com, where we teach people to do what I do. And then we've got a, a, a real estate brokerage, uh, that runs all of our uh, all of our deals. So that represents me as as my buyer broker, but also goes out and does deals for anybody and our apartmenteducators.com clients and us and and everything. So there's the brokerage there. So that's kind of it at a high level. Okay. Hopefully that's clear as yeah, mud. That's great. Yeah, clear as mud. Good one. So talk about a little bit um, on the investor side. So why why does someone want to invest passively versus going out and doing a, a deal themselves there's kind of this this uh typical trajectory right <laughs> I'll, I'll, i won't name anybody but i've heard this story more than once smart person goes to school for a million years they become a doctor boom they start making a lot of money they start looking at how much taxes they're paying they go all this time i never considered how much taxes i was going to pay and oh my gosh how do i help how do i get out of this oh real estate I go buy a rental house a doctor makes all this money they're going to run a rental house. They have an awful tenant, trashes the place. Oh, this is terrible. There's got to be a better way to be in real estate. I have capital. I have more money than time. And then they discover apartment syndications and go, oh, I could still get all the benefits, but I don't have to do anything. That sounds really good, but I'm, I'm, I'm really scared. Is this a scam? Does this work? And then they do one with a good operator and it works and they go, I, I'm in, let's do, let's do a bunch more. And so that's kind of the typical trajectory that okay. we see a lot of times with passive investors. It's such a different animal doing what I do, which is like having 40 employees, you know, having a brokerage, having a consulting company, running this stuff every day. Like that, that's, that's a whole lot going on. That, that is not passive. Uh, and it's the complete opposite to just put 50 K in somebody's deal because you can be in 10 of those. You can be in 50 of those. And other than tracking down all your K-1s for come tax time yeah. and, and making sure you're accounting for all your distributions coming in and, and whatever internal accounting you have, there's nothing to do. It's, it's really a thing of beauty. So um, that's, that's what attracts people to it. I think they recognize okay. that there's so much that goes into, let's say, buying a $10, $10 million building that they don't want to go build those skill sets. And they can, they can own 70% of the deal or, you know, a fraction of that pro rata based on what they invested uh, and not and not do anything. It's really compelling. It's yeah. really compelling. So so what are the the risks, right? When I when I when I look at doing and I'm in a couple deals, you know, the risk I see is number one, the the operator. Like, are you picking good deals? Are you underwriting them correctly? And then yeah. it, then it's the execution of the business model. So you put yep. all this stuff that looks great on a spreadsheet, but can you actually deliver on those returns? So how do you I mean, you said you're an, an LP and other deals. Maybe speak to that first of, of how do you look at it? And I would hope that, you know, you probably mirror it for your investors as well. Yeah, I look at it, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine who you probably know too, but he said, you know, I've been doing this as an LP for a number of years and I've never seen a deck or pro forma that I didn't like. They all look great. That's right. Yep. 
I mean, holy smokes, we start here and we end up in the moon at the moon. It's amazing, right? So it's it's too easy to make a spreadsheet do anything you want, and nobody's gonna know, right? You can manipulate something and and show something, and and so the onus is a hundred percent on the operator to to whatever they're projecting to to be able to hit that some way somehow. So um, the risks are that the operator can't pull it off that they were too for a myriad myriad reasons that they were too aggressive on their growth projections that uh, um something like covid comes along and, and jams things up i mean there's like a million ways well, that the, the renovations pop. cost a lot more they miss things that's right, right. undercapitalization is like yep. the problem pretty much of any business right is getting it wrong or you have a sponsor that's like got every last nickel in their deal and this i see this and this just infuriates me it's like I've, I've been in some deals where the sponsor came back to me and was like, man, we need 50 K to get through like this next thing. And it's like, you don't have that. You're running this multi-million dollar deal and you can't float 50 K out of, out of your account. And just to make it easy for the investors, like, what are you doing, man? You should not get out of this business. If you, if you don't have the capital to, to take care of little things like that along the way, like get out of here. So you know, it needs to be property cap- properly capitalized up front. My thing is, because if you go in Crowd Street right now, you're going to see a million deals, right? Yep. All over the country. They're all going to look amazing. Um, and, you, you know, you don't know anything, know any of those guys. My thing and my philosophy as a passive investor is I got I got to know you. You know, we, ha- we have to be like almost buddies, right? And have played golf together or, you know, something along those lines. Because uh, I've had some deals that every time I like step outside of real estate and try something else it i've had a few just completely like 100 loss of capital disasters yeah. right and so when those things happen i'm like well back to real estate like it hasn't hasn't really failed me yet yeah, it's like keep it simple sometimes you know keep we, it simple man yeah. yup um so i think as a passive investor you, you know the, my approach is to to build relationships Right. Okay. And trust no. and, and they have a track record, right? Yeah, you've because seen. you're you're totally betting on, you know, you've heard the adage, uh, you're betting on the jockey, not the horse. The horse yep. is the deal. Like, oh, I kind of like this market. I like this deal. But there are going to be so many variables coming at that operator. And, and you've got to be a scrappy entrepreneur problem solver, I think, to get around a lot of this stuff. And fortunately, I'm... Um, I did so many small deals over so many years and got kicked in the teeth so many times with these small deals that uh, I'm I'm pretty scrappy, man. So when we see a problem on a bigger deal, a lot of times it's like oh, I've seen this one before. We know how to mm-hmm. we know how to get around this. We you know we know how to navigate that. And um, that's the thing I think that a lot of passive investors don't see is just that day to day entrepreneurial scrappiness. Because it's not just buy a deal and, and wait for it to go up. I mean, in some cases it, it is, but you know, I, I think in the multifamily market we're in today, you, you really gotta you gotta be a good yeah. operator to, to to pull it off. Hey guys, Brian Beers here. In addition to being an entrepreneur, a podcast host, and a real estate investor, I work with a handful of clients as a strategic business coach. Success is 80% mindset and 20% mechanics. And as your coach, first, I focus on that 80% mindset. I help you get clarity on the vision that you want to create for your life and your business. We then set goals that align with creating that future. From there, it's all about having a laser focus and taking action on a daily basis. 
You know, I'm a friendly guy, but you're not hiring me to be your friend. You're hiring me to help turn decades into days by holding you accountable for doing what you say you're going to do. So if you're interested to learn more, go to brianbeers.com to book a coaching discovery call today. You know, as a as an LP, and, and you can speak to as yourself or maybe some of your investors, you know, what should they expect? Is it a cash on cash return? Is it an equity multiple? Like what's what's a good deal? Um Versus what's one that maybe is too risky or, or too too much, you know, like it's probably not going to happen. I mean, I call it a 15 to 20% average annualized return. If somebody's promoting a 20% average annualized return, to me, that feels like uh, that's this is just my personal opinion, mm-hmm. right? Um, to me, that feels a little aggressive on a, on a marketing deck. Now, if you deliver 20% and that's, and I'm talking average annualized return, which is different than IRR. And I, I actually like to reference average annualized return because it's a simpler metric. IRR is a more complex yeah, metric. So can you give an example of that? So if I invest $100,000, uh, yeah, if you had a se- If you had a 17% IR, uh, IRR, that mm-hmm. probably looks like an 18.7 average annualized return. So average annualized return number is a little bit higher than IRR because IRR accounts for the time value of money. And it's like this complicated formula mm. that sometimes people's eyes gloss over. So I just say, hey, if you invest 100K with us and we do it for five years mm-hmm. and at the end of the five years, you've gotten your 100K back plus another 100K, 2X equity multiple, that's 20% per year, average annualized return. Everybody's like, I got it. Okay. So if I'm telling you it's it's a 17% average annualized return on five years, that's a 1.5, 1.85 equity multiple. Turn 100K into 185. And that's pretty much what we've targeted on, boy, many of our recent deals is just 17% average annualized return. Um, and, a, you know, we always say a five-year hold, even though we've to historically sold inside of five years. But that's the number I'm looking for is average annualized return. Okay. Um, so mid, and, I would call it mid to high teens, 15 to 19%. Um, you know, if somebody's showing you a 25% average annualized return, I'm going to, to me, that feels like, what did you miss? Right? Like yep. what, what are you being too aggressive on? And then we, we do a 7% preferred return, meaning, you know, somebody's got a hundred K in the deal. We're sending them seven grand a year, uh, on a monthly basis, you know, over 12 months. Um, so that's kind of our, and it's got just, I've t- trended simpler and simpler, as each deal goes by, we just, Hey, seven and 17, five-year hold. That's what we're looking for. If we can get out in three years and I can show you a 20% average annualized return, I'm going to call that a win. Yeah. Right. Okay, good. Hey, so let's talk about you for a little bit. Uh, you know, what are some of your daily habits that you can attribute to the success that you've created for the last number of years? Yeah, it's different now than it used to be. I think, you know, early on it was, um, I'm, I'll be I'm going to be 43 when this comes out, right? So that's, that's kind of where I am in my life. Um, early on in life, it was it was so much reading books, right? Mm-hmm. Success books, that kind of stuff. And then it was joining mentorship groups. Uh, and the biggest difference in my life has been getting around the right people. Um, certainly knowledge is important. I think you can learn. I tell people like our coaching clients and multifamily, like we'll, we'll tell you and show you everything. Yep. And you're going to get about halfway there. The other half comes from you got to go do it, period. There's no other way around it. So I can show you half of it. And I, and I literally will show you the whole thing and walk you through it. 
and tell it to you a hundred times, you still only get half of it. The other half comes from, you got to go do it. So getting around, um, the right people paying for paying to be, um, not the smartest guy in the room. Like there's some weird thing that happens. We're social animals and we just, it's monkey see monkey do. And if you, if you read all the books you want, but you, when you get in the room with the guy that's a hundred, you know, worth, uh, he's a centimillionaire or even a decamillionaire and, and you, and you can interface with those people. It just changes you. So that would be my number one piece of advice for anyone that wants to uh, move ahead is find somebody that's doing what, what, what that's where you want to be and, and, and get around them and copy them. And the best way to do that is just write the check, you know? Um, so joining mastermind groups, hundred you know, finding maybe local meetups, maybe other real estate investor meetups, if that's your thing. Yep. Right. I'm sure there's other small business chamber of commerce people getting involved in. Totally. Like and, and, and pay for the shortcut. Right. I mean, I'm a, I'm a part of, of frankly, a bunch of groups, right. That I've paid for the shortcut to, and another thing about paying for it is now you're dealing with serious people, right. Mm-hmm. Um, meetups is like, sometimes it's just a disaster. So, um, that, you know, that's been the biggest thing for me kind of in terms of habits, you, you know, um, I've got a family. So spending time with my family, um, church, the uh, exercise, diet, those kind of things really help me. But <laughs> the the biggest personal development for me has been running companies, period. Like my today, what it looks like for me, my habit is run and grow these companies because just by having to play at that level, you, you got you to gotta stay on top of a lot of stuff. And that is like the that's to me, it's the best game to play. And the best thing for personal development is, is running companies and being an entrepreneur. Yep. And it's, it's asking the the who, not how I, I read that book as well. It is fantastic. And uh, especially as you want to grow and scale, you got to look to leveraging other people around you and their, you know, their assets and their skills and not trying to figure it out yourself. Cause hundred percent. Cause you, you, I mean, if you just step outside of yourself for a second and look at the whole situation objectively, we feel like uh, heroes as entrepreneurs and only uh, only I can do this one thing, but like you're so limited on your time. It's such a finite resource, unfortunately. So you have to work through other people, which is this whole other skill set than the bootstrapping entrepreneur, get it up and running off the ground, which I did for many years. And I've had to make that difficult transition to working through other people um, in order to grow because of just the inherent nature of the finite amount of time I have. Okay. Yeah. Great. And where do you want to take uh, your company? What is the the big goal that you're working towards? I like annual goals for, um, for our companies, because if you asked me five years ago where we'd be today, like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have dreamed where we are. Mm-hmm. So kind of take it a year at a time. Um, you know, where we stand right now, kind of mid 2021, our target is 800 doors, new acquisitions. Mm-hmm. That's 20 million in equity. It's halfway through the year and we're exactly halfway to our target. So we're on track there. Uh, I also have a land business where I have a profit goal for that business. We also have the brokerage. I have a profit goal for that business. We also have our consulting company. We have a profit goal for that business. So kind of goals for, for all those. And then you know, end of this year, we'll revisit, set goals for the next year. The the longer term vision I have um, for, for all my companies is that they run in perpetuity without me, like, I, like I'm dead 
and the yep. companies keep running. And my foundation um, is the beneficiary of all that. So I took this model from a company called Santicos here in San Antonio. The guy that ran it passed away in the in the last couple of years. But it's the, it's a ch- chain of movie theaters, right? The whole thing runs, and everybody in San Antonio knows what Santicos is. We're going to go to the movies. Um, I don't know how they did during COVID. Obviously, that's a disaster for movie theaters. But let's yeah. assume they continue to run. This this whole enterprise, and and you know, with a CEO and a whole staff, and they run all these these movie theaters and everything. It all goes to nonprofit, hmm. I, and and I th- think that is the coolest thing in the world. So I have hugely ambitious goals for my personal net worth and our companies and things like that. But really my, my longer term vision is that um, we set it up to run, uh, you know, basically a real estate company and ancillary companies that can run forever and, and benefit the foundation that, and that's like, that's like long, long term, like beyond my death long term. Yeah. Um, What's your foundation's mission? The mission of the foundation um, is basically to help kids that are jammed up. <laughs> I don't have an eloquent mission for it. I started it about a year and a half ago. It's self-funded. So a bunch okay. of my companies make monthly donations to the foundation, and the foundation makes grants to different things. So we've supported uh, an orphanage in the Philippines that a friend of mine built. We've supported um, some stuff here in South Texas for orphan kids in South mm-hmm. Texas. So it's all kind of based around like children's services. We've supported surgeries for kids with cleft palates, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Okay. Yeah, that's great. Any book recommendations that you're reading now that you'd recommend? We talked about Who Not How. Mm-hmm. And Sullivan is, it's funny, I'm not in strategic coach. Um, which is Dan Sullivan's company, mm-hmm. but he is like my North star of entrepreneurial thinkers. And he has influenced me so much just through his, but I've never met him and I'm not in his program, but I sing his praises every, every chance I get. Uh, so anything, let me just say this, anything Dan Sullivan does, I think as an entrepreneur that, that you need to be paying attention to that. Yeah. Great. Yeah, I agree. So where can listeners connect and find out more about you and your company? Best spot is our website, djetexas.com, Delta Juliet Echo, Texas.com, where there's a lot of content. I host podcasts. There's all kind of stuff there. Awesome. Cool. We'll link it all up in the show notes. I appreciate you coming on and sharing all your story. And it's been uh, been great. Awesome. Brian, thank you, man. Um, we'll, we'll have a beer here soon before too long, but I appreciate you yeah. having me on, man. All right. Thanks. I'll see you. All right. Take care. I hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode of Business with Beers. My goal with every episode is to help inspire you to reach new levels of success in your own business and life. So start taking action today. And in order to help this podcast reach more people, please rate, review, and share. To connect with me on Instagram and Twitter, check out the links in the show notes. And until next time, have a great day.